each one of you here today. It really is. It's, uh, it's been tough times, hasn't it? But you're tough. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. I'll I tell you what would happen today. I, I'm winding up the book of James. That, that just thrills my soul. <laughs> because cause it's been eight years, 2012. There's some probably here that weren't even born yet. <laughs> well, I guess eight years ago. <clears throat> but I'm finally getting it done. And uh hope and pray that that it will touch you as it did me. It's a, a challenging scripture. Just two verses. Should only take two minutes. I doubt it. <clears throat> Don't hold your breath. I hope you brought your lunch. But uh, anyway, years ago, I met a guy by the name of Bob in 1977. He and his wife had three children, and they were living in a bus just four miles from our dairy. They used to come down to our place to buy milk, a jug milk, they call it, or a gallon of milk. But Bob had gone to college back east, and then he went on to seminary uh, in, in Denver, Colorado, <clears throat> in order to fulfill his requirements that he had to answer God's call upon his life to be a pastor. That was his goal. I understand from uh, one of Bob's friends and a friend of mine that I found uh, that I met later who attended the same high school that Bob attended, that Bob was saved while he was in high school, and he was on fire for the Lord. In fact, this friend of mine told me that he would witness to everybody in the school. And they nicknamed him the second Paul. He was so excited about the Lord Jesus, on fire for him. But something happened to that fire while he was in his last quarter of seminary that just blew out, uh, blew him out of the water. Whoops, we a little loud here. <laughs> blew him out of the water. <clears throat> and out of God's will for his life at that time. It seems that one day he come home from school, uh, seminary that is, uh, early in the last quarter of his seminary and uh, schooling. He came earlier than he was supposed to or what he ordinarily did. And... Uh, <clears throat> And uh, he discovered that his wife was having an affair with another man. And as a result of that, uh, Bob turned his back on God's call right then and there. And he turned his back on his marriage right there. He had had it. His wife was supposed to be a Christian. She sounded real good, had a good testimony. When they got married and everything, he married a good Christian gal, he figured. Well, he got involved after that, after he... Dropped his marriage and God's call upon his life. He got involved with drugs. He found himself a live-in girlfriend. He strayed from the truth, as James will say here in verse 19. <clears throat> then seven years later is when I met Bob. Uh, he was a nice guy, a real catchy guy, I thought. <clears throat> uh, but it was obvious to me that he was not walking with the Lord. Uh, we had some good conversation, good talks when he'd come to the farm there. And I could see, though, that the Lord had been working on him uh, during those past seven years in his backslidden, as we call it, backslidden condition. The hound of heaven just kept on going after him. He told me about that later on. Wouldn't let up. Seven years. Now, <clears throat> I'm sure that lots of people were praying for him, and we did too, Lou and I, the family, after we, got, after we met him. But the decision to come back to the Lord was strictly his. 
The Lord knocks at our heart's door, folks, as we know, but he won't kick it in. He never has. He never will. And one day, when Bob was at our place getting a gallon of milk, I told him that we at the Christian school uh, where I was a board member at were looking for a new administrator for that school. And I felt Bob was well qualified to fill that position education-wise. But he had to get his spiritual life in order. And I told him I thought he would get the job and I challenged him with the words, I know, you know what you've got to do to get right with the Lord, don't you, Bob? And uh, especially if you come before the board to get interviewed. And all he did is shake his head and he drove off. Well, I'm glad to say, shortly after that, he told me he did get his life squared around with the Lord. And he's still walking with the Lord today, some 40 years later. And God has used Bob in a mighty way these past years to influence many a young life for Christ. Now, I called him just before I wrote this sermon. I got his permission because uh, some of you might know who I'm talking about. Great guy. Maybe there is a Bob in your life, though, uh, someone who comes to your mind, who used to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, but they've strayed, they've wandered from the truth as James puts it, one who has slipped back to his or her old ways, uh, commonly called a backslider, a fellow Christian perhaps, a friend, a relative, an acquaintance, a sheep that has wandered from the fold, as Luke 15, Jesus tells in his parable. Now, as Christians in the fold, what is our what are we to do about that situation? what's our responsibility, what's your responsibility and my responsibility in that situation? Or do we have a responsibility to them at all? Or do we just cross them off the list? What would God have us to do? What did he want us to do about that? Somebody might come to your mind right now. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's just a friend. Well, let's see what James has to say in these two verses. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. James 5, 19 and 20. Excuse me. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. And will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. A tough portion of scripture, Lord, today. We already know, lots of us already have got our heads set exactly what it says. But let's see what you have for us. We pray today, God, just open up our minds. Perhaps there's something we've never seen before, never thought of. Lord, just speak through me. To each person here today. They didn't come to hear Jim. They come to hear from you. They want to hear your voice. As Tom's always has already said. That silent voice. That speaks to our heart. But let us be receptive to it Father. We thank you for that. 
promise to your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, folks. Without a doubt, this is one of the most, if not the most difficult passage within the book of James. I think last week I said that portion was the most difficult passage within the Bible. But this is within the book of James to explain it. And yet, what a fitting way for James to end his letter as throughout his entire letter to believers. And I don't know how many times is my brethren, my brethren, my brethren. He's talking to believers who were scattered abroad, he said in chapter 1, verse 1. He was attempting to turn a sinning saint back to the Lord. Now notice in verse 19 again, is anyone, if any among you strays from the truth. Now I ask you, what's the main Number one reason a Christian would stray from the truth or stray from the church. This might not be what you want to hear. It's the hypocrisy in the church. Folks, we can't escape. It's the hypocrisy that the other Christians, our brothers and sisters, see that we're not living up to what we define or what they define, perhaps, as what a Christian should say, what a Christian should do when he or she has stepped across that line and put their trust in Jesus. Even though we're told, we've told the new believer, the new person that comes to Christ, we've told him maybe more than once, don't watch the people, focus your eyes on Jesus. Don't focus on people. And yet, within a few months or maybe years, they take their focus off of Jesus and they start focusing in on us. That could be scary. Now, while I was preparing this sermon, <clears throat> I kept I had it pretty well done by about Wednesday, and I told Lou something was missing here. I wanted another illustration or something. And then, after prayer, and I remember waking up Thursday morning, I might have woke her up too, I can't remember. <laughs> oh, did I wake you up? <clears throat> oh, well. And that added a couple, of, a couple of pages to my sermon. That's why I asked you to bring your lunch. Because, but, but this is exciting. It was exciting to me. Then I started thinking, the illustration right here in the book of James. He just says it in these, all through these chapters. And he says he constantly hits us on what we're doing wrong. This guy talks. He keeps saying, this is a sin and this is a sin. We never thought about this sin, this sin. It's a sin. So he wants to hit us right between the eyes. And I think it's because of these last two verses, because perhaps someone has seen us do something, one of these sins, not don't candy coat it, and they said, I'm out of here. I hit that door and that's it. I'm out of this church or out of this walk with the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that it's a testing of your faith. A testing of your faith. Has the joy left you lately? You know, knowing that you're being tested by your faith, you should know that just by reading James. But if the joy has left us, folks, oh, we can't be happy and giddy about what we're going through, jumping up and down, oh, this is just great persecution. I can't wait for the next thing to get hit between the eyes. No, but there's a deeper thing, the joy. And that's what they're looking for. And if they don't see that joy in you and 
me. They say, hey, this isn't what I hoped Christianity would be about. Can they see that joy? Or are you handling your situation, your crisis time, your trial, are you handling just like a non-Christian would? You jump up and down, you swear, you cuss, or whatever you're going to do. Or are you persevering, as James says, under those trials? James 1.12. That's what other Christians are looking for. Are you persevering? Are you going through it? And how do you handle temptations? He checked in verse 13, chapter 1. Are you blaming others when you fall? (laughs) Maybe you've even said, God, why did you put that in my path? Why did you allow that temptation to even come into my life? Or are you confessing that it's really one of your own lusts? You lust, as James says in in, uh, verse 14, 114, yeah. He says, let no one say that he is tempted. I'm being tempted by the Lord. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's your fault. If you come to that place and you say, that's a fault of mine, mine, not someone else's. Fellow Christians see us when we yield to temptation. They might catch us out of the corner of their eye. They're watching us. You don't like it. You see, keep your eyes on Jesus, don't watch me. But they're watching you. They're always watching. I don't know how many people have told me, you know, when we went through crisis times, they're watching you. See how you're going to... We th- I always thought it was a non-Christian watching. It's the Christian they're watching you. How are you going to handle that? And are you exerting or expressing the power of the Holy Spirit? He's going to carry me through this. Now then, could it be possible... James goes on, that the fellow Christian is stumbling in his or her faith because you've not learned to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Ooh, that's a bad one. At least it's bad for me. Ask Lou. I haven't quite conquered it. I haven't got a real good handle on it. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. They're watching us. The anger of man, James says, does not achieve the righteousness of God. We can do it. You can get you can get a handle on it. I believe it. I might take that to my grave, but I think God will help me. And this puts us into chapter two. And this guy, you won't want to read this book if you don't want to ever get convicted of something. He doesn't let up on nothing. He says, chapter two, it's called the sin of favoritism or the sin of partiality, whatever your Bible says. James uses, James uses the illustration of favoring the rich over the poor, which we may be guilty of. We may treat the rich people a little bit better than we do the poor. You know, that's what the Lord's going to say to you or me. And we may treat the person that has a little more education than the guy that only went through third or fourth grade. He can't know anything. But boy, that guy, man, he's got a doctorate. He's a big shot. I remember when I went to Southern California, one guy, uh, we were getting all the pastors were together. And uh, he said, what seminary did you go to? I'm afraid I didn't ever go, my friend. I never went to any seminary. 
He says, that is strange because the superintendent never brings the person to the Southern California Conference, which there was 39 churches in there, unless he's got a seminary degree. How did you slip by? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I threw that in myself. <clears throat> Sometimes we do that, though. We uh, favor one person over another. And James, he, uh, he comes back. He said, uh, he says, uh, right down here, he says, Oh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have to confess our prejudices. Isn't that what the last few weeks has been all about? They figure we're, some of us are holding one person over the other person. Examples. Are we examples of fulfilling the royal law, James calls it? He gives us a way out, each one of these. And what about being an example of uh, good works, of uh, have good works that have followed our faith in Christ? Are we good examples of that, or, or do we become a stumbling block when we see a, a brother in need? James says, "Do we just say, I'll pray for you, or do we do something about it? Perhaps we've got something that could help him out. You know." Think of what you got in the cupboards. Think of what you got in your sheds. Maybe you could help them out. I'll pray for you, brother, going through your need. He uses right here in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. James finishes that one up when he says, Faith with no works is dead. Dead. Verse 17. Your brother might be watching you. Your sister might be watching you. Is it a stumbling block that you have not helped the one that has need. And they might be standing right beside you when this other person has expressed their need. How are you going to handle this, brother? I'll pray for you. James just won't let up, folks. And it just keeps on pouring it on in chapter 3. Like I say, I, I tore out some of my... I, you tear out some of your Bible that mine actually tore out. <laughs> some of your Bible that you don't like to hear. But uh, anyway, in chapter 3, he tells us about the sins of the tongue. Gossip, slander, cursing. The tongue is full of deadly poison, he says, chapter 3, verse 8. With the same tongue, we bless the Lord and we curse men. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way, he says. If you've slipped by without any conviction in the first two chapters of James, you'd have to be deaf to the Holy Spirit to miss this one. He's going to speak to all of us. No one, no one, I didn't say it, this James said it. No one can tame the tongue, but there is one that can. If you ask for him to give you, God, before I speak, grab my tongue. You speak through me, because I know no human can do it. <clears throat> no one. <laughs> is that other Christian watching you, listening to you, slip those words out that are not supposed to be said by a Christian when you get upset? Or when you get ticked off at somebody, what are the words that come out of your mouth? What are the sins of the tongue for you? <clears throat> he speaks to us. What could cause what we say, what would cause a brother to stumble or step away? 
Chapter 4, James speaks to the quarrels and conflicts of the church, or conflicts of believers, he says right here. Is that what some of us are going through today? Quarrels and conflicts. Could that be one of the reasons, the main reasons, a fellow brother or sister strays from the truth? I think so. I really think so. I remember a guy in a church that I attended when I first came to the Lord. He was on the board. He'd been there for a while. We thought he was a seasoned believer. He couldn't handle that when he got behind those closed doors of Christians arguing about the color of the carpet and what we were going to do about the nursery color or what we're going to paint the nursery. Should we paint it pink or blue? You know, whatever. What are we going to do? And he got tired of it, and he walked out of that church, and as far as I know, and that's been quite a few years ago, he never darkened the doors of a church again. Could that be the main reason? The quarrels, quarrels and conflicts in the church. Say, and then people say to themselves, if that's the way Christians act, I'm out of here. When I went door to door in Rice, I think I might have mentioned this some to you before. Uh, I invited a guy. He was a great guy. Had some cows, and we just kind of hit it off. Just a real friendly guy. And uh, I got around to asking him to come to church. You know, this was an old church at Rice there. Uh, Pete knows about it. And he said, why would I want to do that? All they do is fight down there. That's what he said. I don't need it. <laughs> and he never came. I saw him at a funeral, but he never came to church. James says at the root of these conflicts is pride. Pride. You might have to back off a little bit. You might be right, but back off if it's going to cause a conflict or a fight within the church. You don't know that Christian sitting over in that corner. How are they going to handle this thing? Who's going to rise up? Who's going to back down? Who's going to swallow their pride? James says in 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I could use that grace. <laughs> now, what does he have to uh, for us in chapter 5? The misuse of riches, some of the headings say. Not paying those who work for us a fair wage, we withhold their wages. When I covered that, I remember I used my dad as an illustration. He worked all day. He didn't get paid. Well, that fits. But how are you paying your bills? You know? And while we're on this subject, a little closer to home, I spoke to a young person, a young Christian person, who told me about uh, that he was getting paid cash for a job. Under the table, he said. Well, I kind of know what that means. And uh, I said to him straight out, I said, how do you think God looks at this? I asked him, under the table. He wasn't turning it in. In fact, I think he was still getting unemployment. I know he was. And that's where I left him. He just walked away. Well, his response could have been, well, everybody's doing it. Everybody does it, more or less. But once again, you who have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not everybody. No longer. You're somebody. You're not everybody. Praise God. 
I get paid a lot of times cash when I sell hay. A lot of times I get paid cash. And I, I can't, can't lie to you. It's a temptation to just shove it in my pocket and not report it as income. I have to do that, though, when it comes to paying the taxes. And, in fact, I even had a tax lady, Lou remembers this one, tell me, why are you reporting this? It's all cash. I said, well, I know the Lord. And he's the one that's going to hold me accountable. I'm not worried about the IRS. It's the Lord. Would it be right as a Christian? Is it right? Examine your own conscience. Could that type of behavior cause some believer to stray from the truth if he or she found out you were not reporting it under the tables or whatever? Yes, folks. I believe the hypocrisy of Christians is the number one reason a brother or sister strays from the truth. Look what he says here. I mean, he doesn't leave us any leeway. He gets up in chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Wow, James, you could have said a lot of things but that. A lot of times I know the right thing to do, but I don't do it. He says, it's sin. He just hits us one sin after another. You see, when I started thinking about that, I said, that makes sense. That could very easily leave us, uh, lead us up to this last two verses. Those sins that he's trying to get us straightened away as believers can influence others. For sure. Hypocrisy within the church. The purpose of James's letter is not only to make us aware of our sins, folks, but to get us to change our ways. Once you've realized it's a sin, change your ways. Remember, we are the witnesses to believers as well as non-believers. A lot of times over here from Christians is we're witnesses to the non-believer. That's not always true. You're... Also a witness to that gal or the younger person that just given his life or her life to Jesus and they're watching you. You're supposed to be a big shot in the church. Uh, how do you handle it when you get out in the parking lot or when you get down to the store, when you get away from the church? They're watching us. We're a witness. Now, I will say right up front that believers have not always agreed on the interpretation of this passage of Scripture as we read here in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. But I do believe that we can all agree on the main point that James stresses here, and that is it's a matter of life or death when a Christian has strayed from the truth. And we as believers, uh, a brother or sister in the Lord, have a responsibility to at least try to do something about that state. So, in your outline, I think outline, what's the main, took a long time to get there, but what's the main reasons that we should seek to restore the backslider? Reason number one, that his soul will be saved from death. Reason number two, so that a multitude of sins will be covered. I believe this is one of the biggest tragedies that we see in the body of believers today. People who have strayed away from the Lord, strayed away from the church, 
I found that to be true when I went door to door in Moreno Valley, California, and also in La Grande, Oregon, as I started going to the people's places. I would hear different things. And I got to tell you that uh, <clears throat> when I w- talked to a lot of these people, they had a born-again experience. I, I would dissect it. I'd say, well, when did you come to the Lord? How did you come to the Lord? When I- and that sounds pretty good. Do you go to church now? No. No, no. I, I, I got a Bible. I pray. Don't, don't pick on me. You know, but they don't go now. What's the problem? Well, I tell you. Some believer that's got that fish on the back of his car, he took me. He ripped me off. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it's not, it's a tragedy. It's just a plain tragedy. Uh, I found <clears throat> that there were more born-again Christians, folks, staying home than on Sunday morning. And going to our churches. And that was before this pandemic, by the way. Long before it. They just didn't want to rub elbows with those hypocrites. So I ask you, why is that? Is there anything that we can do about it? Besides just quoting to them a Hebrews 10.25, not hey brother, don't you know you're not supposed to forsake the gathering together of believers as is the habit of some You're in the habit of believing, staying home. Get your act together. Is there a better way to do it? Verse 19 says, anyone among you strays from the truth. What's the truth? Oh, before that, James says here, he's speaking to believers about believers. He says, my brethren, or in your Bible, NIV says, my brothers. He's don't, it's talking about believers here. Not the unsaved, not the non-believer. And then he says, if anyone strays from the truth, what's the truth? And Jesus is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth. I'm the truth, the way and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's the person of Jesus Christ and his teachings that's the truth. Now, how do they stray from the truth? Usually it happens just a little bit at a time. Uh you know, not like my my friend Bob. He just jumped out. It's usually just a little. It's like that sheep uh, who eventually found himself lost in Luke 15 in that parable that Jesus speaks. He just nibbled his way out of the pasture where the rest of the 99 were eating. We too can get that careless. We can skip a day reading our Bibles. And then two. And then a week. And lightning doesn't strike us. <laughs> We're okay. <clears throat> and then we neglect our prayer time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And no crisis is on, so why should we pray? We say. No reason. So we skip that time. Our devotional time. <clears throat> then, we ne- <clears throat> then we miss going to church. One Sunday, two Sundays, a week. Pretty soon we don't attend at all. Maybe we hear about a Christmas program, so, hey, we'll take it in. But then we feel a little bit of hypocrisy there because, see, where were you last week? (laughs) Somebody might say. So we don't go at all. We don't miss those other believers either because now we've formed a new 
bunch of friends. And we don't feel so guilty around these friends, do we? They don't put any conviction on us because they do this and they do that. And yeah, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good compared to them. There you go, comparing yourself with them. We don't miss them, those believers. We've been away from them. And it's just a little, in a little bit of time <clears throat> before we know it, we have strayed from the truth, from what the Lord wants us to do. We've strayed from him. Unless <clears throat> the believer stays close to the truth, folks, he will start to drift and believe the lie of Satan. <clears throat> but as I've said before, he begins to coast. He believes it. I can coast. But remember, as I said before, we can only coast downhill. Ask any skateboarder tries to coast uphill. You can only go downhill when you coast in your Christianity. And like a lot of lost sheep, the most tragic thing about drifting from the truth is not knowing that you're lost. You think you're okay. You ready to do? You think everything's fine. And now, <clears throat> it's also possible to get lost in the church. We become so involved, so busy talking about God that we forget to talk with him. We forget to have a one-on-one -on -one time with him. It's not that important. We're tied up. Hey, Lord, I serve him here and I serve him there and I do that. I cut the grass. I do whatever has to be done. And we don't talk to him anymore. We don't have our devotional time anymore. Sounds like a son who has stayed home in Luke 15. Huh? He's busy working on the farm. So, what is supposed to be our part who are walking in the light towards such a wayward brother or sister who has stepped into the darkness <clears throat> because of their sin? James says, if at all possible, you are to turn him or her back to the light. How do we do that? I see three steps here in the process of restoration. <clears throat> Webster says to restore means to give back or to return, to recover from ruin or decay, to heal. This is the restore means, and I like his last definition, to revive, to revive, to restore. Step number one in restoring a backslider is to, we must take, or excuse me, we must make the initiative, or take the initiative, I guess it's take the initiative. We gotta get involved Verse 19, we are not to be passive about a brother or sister who has wandered from the truth. It's a serious matter. But take the initiative to do something about it. Make a phone call. Send a card. Tell them how much you miss them. And put it in your own handwriting, by the way. None of this typing stuff or a text. <laughs> Don't cut it. Your own scribbling handwriting, you know, as bad as mine is. That really make, goes a long way sometimes. I really, you get a card that somebody wrote in there besides just their name. You write a little bit in there. That goes a long way. Tell them how much we miss them. Tell them how much we need them in church. You can take over a plate of cookies or a pie. That would sure turn me back to the Lord. <laughs> I think I've told you before, there's only, I only like two kinds of pies, hot and cold. 
<clears throat> anyway, we seek ways to restore the person to the body of believers. Ask God to give you some ideas. Put yourself in their place. That's a big one. Think about what you would what uh, uh, think about what would be the most effective in restoring you if you were in their shoes. Don't be in a hurry to write them off, but instead, find ways to restore. Get involved. The apostle puts uh, apostle Paul puts it this way. I always like this Galatians six one. Galatians six one, brethren, if any, if excuse me, even if a man is caught in a, any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to himself, lest you too be tempted. Good advice. Step number two in restoration: we must pray for them. Pray for them. James repeatedly instructs us to pray. When we're in need, this is a need. Last week, I noted verse 516 where it says, pray for one another. Not only for physical healing, but for spiritual healing. This is probably one of the most important steps of reaching out to a drifting brother or sister. Why is it so important to pray for them? Reason number one, because you can bank on it, folks. You can take it to the bank that they're not praying about their own fallen condition or they'd be back with the Lord. You have to fill that gap. The fallen brother and sister who has strayed from the truth is in the darkness because of their unconfessed sin. John, 1 John 1, 6, not 1, 9, 1, 6. It, John says, if we say we have fellowship with God and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say, we, hey, I got, I got a great relationship with God, you're lying. I remember after I had the opportunity to lead a young lady to the Lord Jesus at 17. Pretty soon, she moves in with a guy, which is way too common today, to tell you the truth. But anyway, and I said, I found out about her, her boyfriend she was crazy about. <clears throat> and they were in a little part right here in Chihuahua. And I went uh, to see her. I mean, appointment to associate her dropped in, just unannounced, if I remember right. So it wasn't an appointment. But anyway, I went to talk to her about it. And she says, hey, don't get on my case. I pray all the time. And I says, don't waste your time. Those prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. With the condition you're living in right now, you're in a live-in situation. Don't waste your time praying to God. The only prayer he wants to hear is a prayer of repentance. Turn from your ways. I'm not a real close friend of hers anymore, but no, she's, she's, she did turn from her ways. She, I, I'm glad to say she's, as far as I know today, we haven't seen her for a while, but as uh, far as I know, she's walking with the Lord. I'm not sure I had anything to do with it, but, but uh, she probably just hit the door when I got left out. We have to, Get the one that's walking in the darkness because we're the light. And later John writes that darkness has blinded his eyes. Have you ever noticed that? We always say light has turned off the light. It's blinded my eyes. John says darkness has blinded 
his eyes. Chapter 2, I'm 1 John 2, 11. Now, he has lost all perspective when he's in the darkness. You see? He walks into walls, we could say, total black darkness. He's lost all perspective to the truth because of his blinded state. So God wants one of us who is in the light to pray, to intercede for the one who is in the darkness. Are you doing that? Don't give up on that guy or that gal. Keep praying for him. You never know what's going to happen. All kinds of things can happen. Reason number two that we should be praying for him or her. To save his soul from death. James 5.20, right when we read this morning. This is where a lot of Christians are split on not only the definition of soul, but also on the type of death James is speaking of here. I believe that, folks, some say it's physical death, some say it's spiritual death. But I'm sure if we were to take a poll right here in this church, we would probably have a little different opinions, one or the other. A little bit of different ideas as to what this means. We'd not all agree with it what type of death that James is speaking of here. But, again, I don't believe this is the most vital issue of this passage. We all have to agree that a brother or sister who has strayed from the truth is in deep trouble, and he and she needs to repent and return to fellowship with God. Remember, God's word speaks of the power of intercession in our prayer time, time and time again, intercede. I mentioned it last week. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, he says. James says, 5, five sixteen, And I believe our prayers can accomplish much to restore that person. You and I can pray that God forgives that fallen believer. Have you ever done that? You just say, well, let the Lord speak to him. Or do you say, God. He's messed up greatly. Forgive him. You ever tried that? Forgive him for their ways. Because they don't know what they're doing. They're in the darkness, you see. You pray that way. Power of prayer to restore. God forgive him. Moses did that. Read the book of Exodus if you don't believe. He came time and time again. I mentioned it last week too. He came time and time again between God and those crazy Israelites. Those sinners. <laughs> you know, they were bad. They would oh, gripe about this. They didn't like manna. They'd rather have steak and eggs. But, in a, you know, he says, hey, God, forgive them. He'd go to him. He'd get down on his knees. And he said, remember the time he said, God says, I'm tired of them. I'm going to... Wipe my mouth, face. I'm going to start all over with you, Moses. You look like pretty good stuff. We're going to go with you. He says, no. The rest of the world hears about that. It's going to be bad news for you, God. Bad reputation. Stephen, chapter 7, verse 60. 60. <clears throat> Do you remember what he prayed? As he was being stoned to death. Stoned to death. He looks up. And by the way, I don't know if you ever noticed that before. Do you remember after Jesus ascended to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father? You won't argue that. Do you ever notice he stood up? He stood up when Stephen was being stoned. Come on, Stephen. Oh, wouldn't that touch you? The Son of God stood up and grabbed me by the hand. 
And you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't. Don't hold their sin against them. Wow. Have we come that far? And Jesus, hanging on the cross, prayed in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Neither does the backslider. He doesn't know what he's done, what he's doing. He's out of the light. Can we do anything less than to pray for them, intercede for them? That type of intercession prayer for the fallen brother and sister can only be generated by one thing, love for them, love for them. Which brings us then to the third step of restoring a backslider. Step number three, we must act in love. The motivation behind our steps of action towards the restoration must be love for them. Isn't that what God commanded us to do? Love one another. Love in action. Notice again, James says that if we can turn a fellow Christian back to the truth, then it covers a multitude of sins. Verse 20. What's a multitude of sins that would be covered? The sins that he's committed since he's walked away from the Lord, since he's rebelled. It's going to be covered. You see, if we can turn him back and the sins that he would commit in the future, if we doesn't come back to God. Wow. It can cover. And Peter puts it this way. He tells us the ingredient that will cover a multitude of sin. Here's how he said it. Quote, first Peter four, eight love covers a multitude of sin. A person who is who is motivated by love for that fallen brother or sister would not come up, we would not come up to him and say, turn or burn, brother. That's not how to get him back. There's not much love in that. But sometimes we do it that way, don't we? We look down our noses at him. Hey, turn or burn. We should try to restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness and love. Galatians 6 1. Love in action not only helps the offender to face his sins and deal with them, but also it assures the offender that his sins, once he's repented, will be forgiven and remembered no more. As far as the east is from the west. Praise God. Psalm 103 12. Remember that. Love and action also assures the one who is restored that he or she will be welcomed back into the fold, back into the church right now at arm's length, or at least six feet. But we should welcome them back. Jesus said this way. He says, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents, Luke 15, 10. Just one sinner, there's joy in heaven. Praise the Lord. Can we be part of that? Can we do anything less than rejoice when a sinner that has fallen away walks through those doors? Can we make him feel welcome? Hey, brother, it's good to see you. Man, I missed you. I really did miss you. 
And I've been praying for you. But I sometimes thought my prayers weren't going anywhere. But you come back. And I don't know if it's my prayers. Maybe his or hers or somebody else's. But you're coming back. Just like my friend Bob. That's what happened to him. I believe, folks, our main mission in the church should try to, we should try to do everything we can to restore the one who has fallen away, to bring them back into fellowship with God and with believers. That's what happened with my friend Bob. He has served now for years. He served, past tense, in the Christian school. And now he's an elder in a church not too far from here. Walking with the Lord. I just talked to him last week. Back in fellowship with the believers, people that knew where he came from. People that knew that he was a backslider at one time. That's how it happened. And it can happen to your friend, to mine too. To your neighbor. To your son. Your daughter. The guy or the gal down the road or down the street from you who has strayed from the truth. Think about it. Jesus is our example of love and action. Jesus never hesitated to take the initiative to get involved in the lives of those who strayed from the truth. Even for a short time, as Pete remembered, Peter himself. He Remember? Don't you know this guy that is going to the cross? I never saw him before in my life. No, you got the wrong guy. Three times he said, no, I don't know him. He's lied. And, and, and Jesus said, well, now we're down to 10 apostles. No, he went after him. Hey, come on, eat some fish. I got the fire going. Peter, he gets so excited, he jumps in the water. He didn't wait for the boat to get to the... It's, it's, it's exciting. Pete, Pete brought it up this morning. Chapter 21 of John. He jumps in the water and he swims over there. I'm glad to see you, Jesus. Do you love me? Jesus said... Yes, I love you. Had that never changed? And he goes back three times. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Jesus intercedes for us, folks, all the time. We see that in First Peter and First John two one. He prays for us to the Father. And Jesus acted in love when he came to this earth. He went to Calvary. How could? How much more love could he show? To die on that old rugged cross for our sins. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends, you and me. That love covered a multitude of our sins, didn't it? It saved our souls, didn't it, from death, didn't it? The love of God. And now, let's be part or do our part. To see if there's some way we can restore the one who has gone astray. I think we can do something. Don't write them off. I got a little song here of a guy that went astray. I've sang it before. Before. But it's still good. (laughs) It's still a good song. Excuse me. <clears throat> just about, just about ready. And uh, this, of course, is a song about, uh, it comes out of Luke 15. You see, are we on here? Okay. And uh, it's about the son that walked away from home, took his inheritance, 
a little early. The old man didn't die. And, uh, but he said, I want a little, I want that in my inheritance. He goes, okay, okay. We'll cut you some. So he takes off, goes to the far country. You know the story. The second verse of this song tells about, kind of interesting, who wrote this, I don't know. I, I, first time I heard it was uh, James Dobson, I believe, <clears throat> uh, a, a Christian counselor. And he talks about the, in the second verse, about the mothers who and fathers who have said their goodbyes. Folks, never take divorce lightly. You leave a lot of broken hearts behind. You think twice before you hit that door. Think about it. The mothers and fathers who have said good goodbyes and the sad eyes of children looking through their tears. And the third verse, of course, is the son who stayed home. That's the dangerous one. He thought everything was okay. Hey, man, I've worked for you. I've slaved for you. And of course, this is the Father is the Lord God himself, the Father. Okay. Fifteen. Late in the evening, when everyone was sleeping, the father of the wayward son slipped out in the night and looked toward the city and wiped away his tears and prayed his son could hear his father's cry. Turn your heart toward home. Turn your heart toward home You've been gone so long Turn your heart toward home Not only the sons are the wayward ones There are mothers and fathers who have said their goodbyes. And the sad eyes of children looking through their tears, praying mom and daddy could hear their cries. Turn your heart toward home. Turn your heart toward home. You've been gone so long Turn your heart toward home There are those who have never walked away from home Yet in their hearts they're so many miles away And the Father in heaven is the only one who knows if they listen they could hear him say 
turn your heart toward home. Turn your heart toward home. You've been gone so long. Turn your heart toward home. You've been gone so long. Please don't wait too long. Turn your heart toward home. Let's stand, folks, for a word of prayer. Father God, first thing we pray about is, is there someone here that's kind of on the edge? They have seen how some of us act when we've kind of uh, let down our guard. And God, first, we just want to pray that they overlook that and turn their back, turn their eyes back on Jesus. Compare themselves with Jesus and not other Christians. Help them have a blind eye when they see we make mistakes. And remember that how much God has given them the grace for the mistakes they've made. And for the other person, perhaps, Lord, that would like to rededicate his or her life right now, how can they do that? It's pretty much the same as when they came to Jesus. If you want to do that, my friend, You just pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I rededicate my life right now to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for overlooking my trespasses. Take control of my life right now, please, as never before. Fill me with your spirit. The Holy Spirit power to overcome temptation. Thank you, Jesus. If you pray that prayer sincerely from your heart, just slip up your hand. Anybody? One, two, oh, great. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you again for each person here. Help us, Lord, to uh, remember those ones who have uh, slipped through those back doors. Where are they now? We look in our our uh, attendance or we look in our, our, our book with all the pictures. and I wonder where they are now. Well, if they're not in heaven and they're not attending another church, maybe we better check them out. God, help us to do that. We thank you, Father, you didn't write us off when we've made, we blew it so many times, God. Go with each person today, and Lord, just tell them once again how much you love them, how much you care for them. Even when they made a few mistakes, you still love them. Thank you, God. We can come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.